Yes, uh, hi, well, hello, and welcome inside a Tuesday. Power Talk Amonsi, the new WMUN. Lots to get to today. We're going to jump around a bunch of topics on the program today, including tonight's big matchup for Ball State Men's Basketball. You can hear the coverage right here on the Talk Amonsi, the new WMUN, across the Ball State Radio Network. It's a big one. In a lot of ways, because this is a team in Ohio that has certainly had Ball State's number um, in, in recent years. You know, you feel like when it comes to your conference, every once in a while, there is just that one team that just gives you issues. And... You know, for us broadcasters that cover these events, we always look at the series history. We look at what's happened three, four, five, six years ago. Uh, We look at the last time, you know, maybe um, Ohio or Ball State won at home or whatever the case may be. All those different things um, are, are right there. But the fact of the matter is coaches focus on the now, focus on their current team, focus on the opportunity at hand. That being said, it is a very glaring one-sided affair as of recent uh, with Ohio. Oh, by the way, Ohio has knocked you out of the last two Mid-American Conference tournaments as well. So there's a lot of history here. This wouldn't necessarily qualify as a quote-unquote rivalry matchup, but um, I I feel like you can feel the urgency a little bit about this matchup due to the fact that it's fairly well known how Ohio has had great success against Ball State in recent years. So we'll get to a little bit of that conversation. And, uh, of course, later on today, Kyle Smedley. Ball State Daily News in the uh, last segment of the show will join us and we'll talk about this. We'll also talk about why the last three weeks have been so pivotal uh, for Ball State men's basketball because they're defending better. They're deeper from an offensive standpoint. Um, You know, sometimes it's hard to really point to why you're trending in the right direction. We'll try to... um, analyze that if you will coming up here in a little bit with Kyle Smedley from the Ball State Daily News. We'll give you a preview of uh, Ball State in Ohio again pregame coverage right here at 640 on the Talk of Muncie the new WMUN. A couple other stories that are out there. One uh, that I want to spend a little time on Coming up in the next segment of the show, you might or might not have seen a couple of stories out there relating to the Indianapolis 500 and a potential change to what has always been a major tradition in the month of May, and that is the potential to guarantee spots into the 33-car field um, in May. Now, um, I think it's kind of an interesting discussion because it goes back to this. Like, you know, we, we've, we, in sports lately, we've been talking a lot about tradition, right? Tradition for tradition's sake. Like, hey, are you going to break up tradition? And, you know, I'm one of those people that I, I tend to see both sides of the equation. Now, I, I do think in sports there are times where we just hold on to that's always the way we've done it uh, in sports. You know, a particular um, example of that doesn't exactly jump to the top of my mind. But, you know, one of the things like in collegiate sports where you're breaking up some of these uh, major conferences, you know, several years back the ACC grew with teams that haven't been about uh, been a part of the natural ACC. And the biggest thing was you're, you're breaking up tradition. You're breaking up true 
rivalries. And, you know, I get that in one sense, but if you're just holding on to doing things the same way due to the fact that, well, you've always done them that way, you're never going to evolve and actually change. So I want to put that out there, and it's not to say that I'm going to come on the air here in a moment and tell you how this is a great idea. I think there are some certain things about it that make it interesting, but also certain things about it that might alter a little bit of the experience in May, which ultimately, it's the Super Bowl for the IndyCar Series. It is an event that IndyCar is certainly a big part of, but really it stands alone. Um, I think there's probably a a, a good part of the racing uh, viewership, even the average fan, that just tunes in for the Indianapolis 500, and they know, hey, it's qualifying, hey, it's bump time, hey, it's the fast nine time, and that could be altered due to the fact of this potential rule change or discussion of a potential rule change coming up. So we'll analyze that coming up here in a little bit. Again, it, it, it's February. We're, we're certainly a ways away from the uh, Indianapolis 500, but y- you could possibly see this change coming up in 2025 or 2026, and uh, we'll bring some comments to your attention here in a little bit. Um, want to mention this. Um, we haven't really talked a lot about this, but uh, obviously very public what's been going on with Colts owner Jim Ursay. He did reach out via X Twitter today and says thanks for uh, the, the thoughts and prayers on the mend. Um, I, I think everybody can agree that is very good news if uh, indeed it is Jim Irsay tweeting that and those sorts of things. So um, that was uh, that was one of the stories today. You know, been very quiet for a couple of weeks after the initial uh, sort of update on Jim Irsay's condition. So uh, we, we continue to wait for more and more information on that. We may touch on a little Colts coming up here in a little bit as well. Uh, your calls are welcome at 765-287-1340 at Mark WMUN on Twitter. Again, coming up here in about uh, 30 minutes or so, just a tick over 30 minutes, we'll be joined by Kyle Smedley from the Ball State Daily News and what is tonight a very important matchup for Ball State men's basketball. They've all been important here over the last couple, three weeks. And, you know, we mentioned it yesterday, being four and two in your last six, naturally that shows you're headed in the right direction. But if you dive into the numbers and you dive into why you've won these games, you got to be very encouraged by the way you're playing on the defensive side of the basketball. And, you know, um, I say it all the time on this program, and I've learned this over the years in covering basketball and learning this from coaches, not my own expertise, because I rely on people that actually do this for a living and actually play the game and those sorts of things. I did not, but you know, I'm smart enough to understand when you, you, you listen to the experts, listen to the people that are inside the room, and you know, it just so happens that Bull State has been more efficient offensively over the last six games when their defense has gotten better. You know, we you often talk about both ends of the floor. You talk about, hey, they're really strong on the offensive end. They're very strong on the defensive end. And it's kind of interesting. This game tonight has two teams that efficiency-wise rate pretty darn well offensively and defensively. Statistically, these are two of the better teams defensively in the Mid-American Conference from uh, defensive points allowed. 
And it just so happens here as of recent, Ohio coming in with a three-game winning streak. They're shooting the ball well from the perimeter, better than anybody else in the conference right now. And then Ball State has, you know, done what they do very well, and that is draw fouls, get to the free-throw line, draw contact. And on the Ball State side, I think it goes hand-in-hand. When you play well defensively and you get stops on the other end, it creates run-out, transition, uh, numbers, opportunities, which is going to do one of two things. One, you're going to get easy buckets on the other end, or what it's really done has not allowed the opposition to set up their defense and the, the the calling card of this offense over the last couple of seasons has been getting to the free throw line. So you put those two things together and that's why you're progressing to a point where you're at right now where um, I feel like they're learning how to close games and they're learning how to play on both ends of the floor. And you, you focus so much on the statistics, and I do too. I mean, it's natural, right? How many points are you scoring? How are you shooting percentage-wise from the perimeter? And those sorts of things. But the fact of the matter is, um, I think we all understand that this team needed to get a little better defensively. And they really have done that, especially if you even hyper-focus on the last four. Um, they've done very well in that regard. So, you know, that stands out to me. Uh, The other thing that stands out to me as well, it feels like while Bashir Jihad has had a first-team All-American Conference type of year, you're starting to be able to trust others to carry that load. Uh, Mickey Pearson Jr. is in his best stretch of the season offensively. Davion Bailey has had himself a game in the last six. Jalen Anderson had a game this past uh, the, the, this past game against Western Michigan where he was relied upon heavily. And all of these guys are getting to the free throw line and they're shooting a very high percentage at the free throw line as well. It is no longer the isolation Bashir Jihad show. You know, and there are times where you like the matchups, and this may be one of those today because uh, Ohio is not a very big team. Ohio brings a lot of different versatile guards at you. But from a matchup standpoint defensively, even though from a statistical standpoint they have done very well defensively in the Mid-American Conference, I, I, I would see this as being an advantageous night for a Bashir Jihad matchup. Because guards are too small to guard him. Inside, if you got a forward on him that's long, he could step out on that forward and hit a three. I think, and I've always felt this way, that Bashir Jihad is one of the biggest mismatches in the entire Mid-American Conference. But when you look at the size of this team that Ball State's about to play, you're looking at a team that is going to have a tough time matching up with Bashir Jihad. So it might be the reverse of what has been more of a collective approach here as of late. So um, that's going to be very interesting tonight. Look, Ohio is a team that is so abnormal in this day and age in college basketball. They returned 11 players from last season's team. And they were a middle-of-the-road Mid-American Conference team a year ago. They are now at 6-4. and four. They're 12-10 and 10 overall. They haven't quite taken the jump that maybe some others thought that they might take this year. Because last year, they were, they were very young. They had a bunch of shooters. I mean, I'll never forget watching that game last year in the Mid-American Conference tournament when Ball State was knocked out by Ohio. And it was just one of those games. 
as much as you still look back at that and say a missed opportunity for Ball State, I remember watching that game and feeling like there were little glimpses of hope. And then almost every time they would hit some sort of big perimeter shot. You know, and uh, the Hunter kid is a kid that played very well against Ball State last year. A.J. Brown was on this team. He's not playing right now, it looks like. But A.J. Brown's the, the, the dude that had five threes and 28 points in that quarterfinal matchup in Cleveland last year in March. And I remember watching that game and being like, wow. You know, I, the, the first matchup when these two teams played in Athens, Ohio, at the Convocation Center was tough, and you felt like that was one that you kind of had slip away, and you actually liked that matchup going into the Mid-American Conference Tournament last year. I remember talking about it. I remember. I mean, it was one of those where you're like, you know what? You kind of uh, got got nipped a little bit there in, in, in Ohio last year, and then Ohio just absolutely shot the lights out. 90 to 70 in that game it was it was quite a scene I came away from that game saying you know what you got to tip your cap to a team that just absolutely brought it all and then Ohio would lose in the semifinals to Toledo and we kind of know the rest of the story that way but Ohio hasn't quite taken that jump although they're playing very well in the last three and you know I I, I find this interesting because um, Ohio is a team that has more continuity than just about any team in this conference, which is kind of weird. They have as much depth as any team in the conference, and they have as much continuity as any team in the conference, yet they've been a little bit up and down. I don't know what that means, and quite frankly, you know, um, I always mention that the middle of the conference is what really judges your season, but the fact of the matter is a lot of the teams in the middle of the conference – are the teams that are still trying to put everything together, that are the teams that may have had a little bit of an uptick, like Ohio's one of those. We saw Miami of Ohio a couple weeks back where Ball State, you know, of course that overtime game, a tough one, and, you know, Miami of Ohio has been very inconsistent as of late, even though they beat the top team in Akron um, about a week back. Miami of Ohio is also a 5 and 5 team. They beat Akron and yet they're 5 and 5. Ohio just beat Miami of Ohio. But I feel like the teams that are 6 and 4 like Bowling Green, Ohio, Miami of Ohio, Western Michigan who Ball State just beat, Ball State and Kent State. Kent State is uh, just a little bit uh, they have the same record at 4 and 6, but that's a team that Ball State lost by 13 on opening night. I feel like all of these teams including Ball State, is still trying to overall figure themselves out. Because if you looked at this game on paper, which you shouldn't do, you'd look and say Ohio would have an advantage in a lot of areas. I mean, from the way it looks, it's a team that has four players in double figures. They're a team that goes about nine to ten deep. They've got shooters all over the floor. They're one of the top three teams in defense in the Mid-American Conference. I mean, when you put all those things together, you feel like, oh, well, you know, Ohio's a pro, you know, one of the top two teams in the MAC. No, right now, uh, Ohio is number five in the conference. Number five. It's kind of interesting. But that is why you always, always start with the middle of the conference. It's always been the deal. And I bring all that up to say, you watch these two and look at these two next to one another. This is a game that Ball State can win. No question about it. I mean, if you can battle against Akron and Toledo on the road and you have Ohio coming here, forget the history. Tonight's going to be interesting 
because really it is kind of a toss-up. You know, Ball State, this may be a more even matchup because it's at home, but that is an advantage. That is absolutely an advantage for Ball State. And they have, I, I, I may sound like a broken record, like I mentioned before, they have the biggest mismatch offensively on the floor. And Bashir Jihad. There's not going to be a player that's going to be able to match up with him on the perimeter, match up with him inside. It can't be the same player. And if you double team out of it, be my guest. I mean, because Ball State's shooting so well from the perimeter as a team right now. I think that there are so many different little things here. And it's a credit to the Bashir Jihad development that you are in this position because, man, uh, Ohio kind of had all the momentum coming into this year. I, I don't know if it necessarily means that Ball State is going to be the favorite tonight because they're at home, but it is going to be quite the battle at Worthen Arena tonight. And this is a major, major game from a lot of standpoints, but specifically, you know, um, you come off the Western Michigan win and you come home. Man, what this would do to be able to go to five and six in conference, it, it – it, 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 it puts you in a little bit of a different stratosphere. And then uh, you have a break in Mid-American Conference play as you play Texas State coming up on Saturday in the second uh, part of the Sun Belt Challenge. Um, that, again, if you remember back at the beginning of the season, uh, Ball State played game number two against Old Dominion. So um, you wouldn't have a Mid-American Conference game for 11 days after tonight. Just kind of a little bit of a break, but you know, going in at five and six compared to going in at four and seven, that's quite a quite a shift because there will be other teams playing Mid American Conference games in that stretch. It's all going to even out at the end of the day, but from the aesthetics of it, um, th- this is this is a huge game tonight, and I, I just I, I feel like there's a sense of man, Ohio has just had Ball State's number. It's been it's been kind of strange, quite frankly. You know, Ohio's been a good program, good solid program. Jeff. Bowles and his fifth-year head coach has done a nice job, and it's going to be a lot of fun tonight at Worthen Arena. Seven o'clock, the tip-off. You can hear all the coverage right here on the Talk of Muncie, the new WMU. And again, Kyle Smedley from the Ball State Daily News is going to stop by the program coming up here in a little bit to break all of it down. Um, th- there's a lot of things you got to like, but um, the, the, the way that you're playing defensively right now is really, really interesting. I, I, I find it very intriguing uh, to see how this all plays out tonight. But um, Ohio tonight, this is the last home game for Ball State until they face Eastern Michigan in 18 days on February the 24th. And then at that stretch, before the end of conference play, Ball State would have three home games and a five-game stretch to end the season, which, man, it'd be kind of interesting. You know, And that's why the swing of this game and the record is kind of interesting, right? You could be 4-7, and seven, you could be 5-6, and six, uh, or, or, or uh, you could be 4-7 and seven or 5-6. and six. If you're 4-7... and seven, you have two games in a row against Miami of Ohio and Northern Illinois on the road. 
If you're five and six, that looks a little bit different. I, I mean, that looks so different. Back-to-back road games, one in Northern Illinois you feel good about, and then all bets are off for the Miami of Ohio game. You play tight here. Why couldn't you play tight at Miami of Ohio? Um, so, again, it just kind of it kind of feels like, depending on what side of the equation you are and where your record stands at that current set of time, it's kind of how it feels right now. But fired up for this one tonight at Warthen Arena. Again, 7 o'clock is the tip-off between Ball State and Ohio at uh, Warthen arena all right when we come back uh, a conversation again that I-, I wanted to learn a little bit more about before we brought it up on the show today and so again it has to do with the indianapolis 500 and guaranteed starting spots i know how that sounds at the outset let's have a conversation when we come back this is the power the talk of Monsi, the new wmun As always, presented by Walls Furniture and Mattress. Nebo Road at Monsey online at wallsfurniture.com. 90% of what's on the showroom floor in stock for you 48 hours or less. That's the Walls Furniture and Mattress difference on Nebo Road at Monsey and online at wallsfurniture.com. Your calls are welcome at 765-287-1340 at Mark WMUN on Twitter. And especially for the discussion we have coming up, well, right now. And that is a a, a very interesting story that kind of came out of nowhere in a lot of ways. Except if you go back... This is something that's been under consideration for the Indianapolis 500 for quite some time. Now, folks, for 2024, it's too late to change anything, so status quo will remain at least for 2024. That being said, though, it is under consideration for the Indianapolis 500 to guarantee spots for the field. So this is from a story in the Sports Business Journal that there's a potential between 22 to 25 spots on the Indy 500 grid would be predetermined to go to full-time entries. With anywhere from 8 to 11 spots still up for grabs, either other full-time teams, extra cars, part-timers, or Indy 500-only drivers. Now, um... Which, which begs the question, look, I, I mentioned this at the start of the show, and I feel very strongly about this. It is impossible for sports to move forward and not change. So some of the traditions or those that are perceived as traditions are going to change. Now, there, there are certain untouchables, right? <laughs> you know, the way the, the NFL playoffs works or, or whatever the case may be. I mean, there's, there's certain things that w- would absolutely be off limits. And I think pretty much everybody knows from an assumption standpoint where that would lie. For this one, it's kind of interesting. So... You know, I think the Indy 500 has to figure out who they're catering to. Because if you're catering to the Indianapolis 500-only fan, this is one that is not going to go very well. Those are the fans that go to the qualifying, to the bumping, to all of the different festivities. And, yeah, you know, and in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, okay, I feel like the bump day situation with, you know, the Fast 9 and and the changes that went in place for that has taken away just a slight bit of luster from the 
traditional bump day that we are used to. You know, I remember back in 2015 being in the pits and Marco Andretti was scrambling to get back out there for, uh, uh, you know, as many as he could get out there for because he was out of the out of the field for a while. And then he at the very last moment he got in. This year, we know uh, the situation with Graham Rahal and uh, him, him, you know, him uh, being put in the field and all those sorts of things. You know, there, there, there's some certain stories that obviously, depending on the year, uh, kind of gets put into place. That being said, the one of the things that I think is very interesting about this is um, is the Indy 500 a star-studded field? Or do fans end up going for the spectacle of it all and kind of get caught up with the stories, get caught up with the bump day headlines? Like, obviously, if Elio Castroneves was on the bubble and had to get it at the last moment, it would be a major, major story due to his history. But I'll say this, you know, if Jack Harvey is the big name that's being bumped out, will Indy 500 fans care? You know? And by the way, Elio Castroneves would fall into the part-timer situation. So would a Tony Kanaan. So would some of the um, historic names that we've known for years and years and years. So, you know, uh, when you have uh, Penske and you have Chip Ganassi and you have some of those teams um, uh, that are going to be guaranteed spots, you will not see Will Power fight for a spot. You won't see Joseph Newgarden fight for a spot. You wouldn't see, um, you know, Simon Pagino fight for a spot because under this consideration, they would be a part of full-time series teams. Alexander Rossi would be another one. So, you know, what what you would kind of go into and by the way you know you've had guys like uh, Fernando Alonso who came over from F1 and, and raced Jimmy Johnson came over and raced Kyle Larson is under that consideration coming up um, as he you know obviously splits between NASCAR and possibly the IndyCar series so my question is this like if there are still 8 to 11 spots and it's a gamble for IndyCar in the Indianapolis Motor Speedway which by the way this is under the jurisdiction of Roger Penske so it's not from the IndyCar series. This is under the jurisdiction of Robert, Ro- Roger Penske. So what? What you know? You gotta you gotta figure out who you're catering to. You have to figure out if the the, the fact that you're gonna have eight to eleven spots just up for grabs is that enough on a bump day? And you don't need the names to carry that because, in my opinion. You know, and I'm I'm the wrong guy for this because I've covered a lot of these things. I've you know I've gotten to know some of these drivers or cover some of these drivers. Not gotten to know, but you get the point. You know, I I just wonder if fans, if if natural Indy 500 fans, just go to the bump day, give a give a care about the bump day specifically because of itself and not who actually is on the bubble for a spot. And I think that might be where this comes from. This might be where it comes from also. You know, the teams, the full-time teams, I, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense because you do have a lot of part-time drivers that come in. Now, um, the field, w- w- from a qualifying standpoint, I think over the last several years has been around 34 to 35. So you're really only bumping out two drivers. 
So it's not like, you know, you, you had years in the past where you had upper 30s, low 40s of drivers being left out of the race. So there's a lot of different things around this. But if you go back to a quote in 2019, when the transition took place with Roger Penske um, at the head of all of this, he did mention the possibility of this. I think team owners actually kind of like this. From a fan perspective, you know, the diehards are not going to like this. I, they're just not. I mean, again, the, 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 the diehards are the ones that want no change, that have been watching this for 35, 40 years. And I understand that. I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that that is a wrong point of view. But the point is this. The point is, if you're not changing, if you're not evolving, you are not going to progress. And I, I don't know enough about this to, to, to say this is the right change or this is the wrong change. And maybe, uh, you know, someone from the IndyCar Radio Network, we could talk about this in the next couple of weeks. It's not going to happen immediately, but it is something on the horizon that I do find fairly interesting. I do. I find it interesting. Because, you know, there haven't been significant, significant changes with the structure of uh, the, the way that th- this is uh, kind of put together. But this is one that, you know, got out there and fans were not happy. I'll just tell you that much. Fans were not happy at all. And, look, I, I got a bunch of friends that aren't into sports but are into the Indianapolis 500. And uh, I know how they feel about this. I understand that. I do. But I can kind of understand both sides. So anyway, I think it'll be interesting to monitor that going forward. All right. Uh, when we come back, we'll have a qu- uh, quick segment. And uh, Kyle Smedley, Ball State Daily News, scheduled to join us here in a little bit, talking Ball State sports. Coming your way next, Power Talk about CWMUN. Welcome back. Power Talk of Muncie. The new WMUN is always brought to you by Sheriff Gosselin Roofing. Your visitor protect your family. Make sure you're doing all you can. To protect them, Sheriff Gosselin Roofing has been helping families for generations. Remember to call Pete Dahlia or look them up at worryfreeroof.com. Indiana Pacers in action tonight against the Houston Rockets. Uh, this one at home for the blue and gold. And on an um, um, interview uh, with 1070 of the fan at Indianapolis, uh, Coach Rick Carlisle um, kind of insinuated the minutes restriction for Tyrese Halliburton might be reduced as we go further and further through the next couple of games. So uh, tonight against Houston, Thursday night against Golden State, and then Saturday against the New York Knicks. These uh, next two games are at home. The game against the Knicks is at Madison Square Garden in New York City. So uh, you've got a couple of uh, – we we highlighted the games um, yesterday that you have coming up. And look at 28 and 23, you know, you're right in the mix for some of those top six, seven seeds. But hey, uh, you'd like to avoid the play in. And, um, you know, a lot of this after the all star break, that's when a lot of that comes into clear focus. You know, the, the Pacers are securely a playoff team right now. That is not a concern at this point. That being said, um, 
you you want to separate yourself in the, the top four and the top five. Speaking of change, you know, the change that the NBA made in their playoff structure with the play-in tournament, you know, that that took a little bit of uh, getting used to. I mean, we're talking about tradition and uh, the changes and moving the sport forward. I still don't know if it was a good decision to do that or not, uh, but the fact of the matter is that's where you're at with all of it so uh again I, I think obviously the more minutes Tyrese Albertan can play I think it goes without saying it's very good news for the blue and gold so we'll, uh, we'll we'll end up seeing how all of that plays out so big one tonight at Warthen Arena it is Ball State men's basketball versus the Ohio Bobcats we'll talk to Kyle Smedley from the Ball State Daily News has covered and uh we've done a great job covering Ball State men's basketball throughout get his thoughts on tonight and what's going on with Ball State men's basketball after this power talk on Muncie WMUN Back for a final time on the edition of the program, Power Talk of Muncie, the new WMUN is always brought to you by State Farm Agent Jason May. Make sure you're getting all the discounts you deserve by calling Jason at 747-7100 today. As we welcome in Kyle Smedley from the Bowl State Daily News, joins us each and every Tuesday. Uh, Bowl State Mids Basketball is at home tonight against Ohio. We'll get to the matchup coming up tonight here in a second, Kyle, but um, you know, I you and I have talked about the importance of the last three weeks. Ball State four and two in their last six games. What 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 has been the biggest reason for the success over the last three weeks in your mind? I think they're finally starting to. Um, I, I think really, and, and head coach Michael Lewis has said it is they're starting to kind of buy into each other. They're starting to buy into you know, taking the development that comes with being a young team. I think some of the young players, you know, I'll use Trent Middleton Jr. as an example. He's a freshman. He was a healthy scratch in two conference games, and then he got a start against Western, and he's got back-to-back games with double-digit points. He's got – I mean, it's a young team. We've talked about it before on the show. It's a young team. Um, I feel like you knew it was going to take time for them to start to gel together, and it looks like they're starting to do that. I thought, especially in the first half against Western – that was probably the best played half of basketball that Ball State has played all year. Um, and especially on a defensive end, I mean, they just they weren't allowing anything. They were playing aggressive on offense and defense. And, I mean, they led that whole game against Western on the road. And it's a pretty impressive win. And I think, you know, they're starting to play more together. They, they've proved that they can do more outside of just relying on Bashir Jihad. I mean, this year, Jihad's still the leading scorer almost every single game, but they've proved that they can also do more outside of him. Is is there certain cases you've watched them more closely than I have? The 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 defense, which you know, in three of those four wins over the last six that we've talked about, they they allowed under seventy points. Is there a certain sense of that defense almost aiding the way they want to attack offensively as well? Oh, certainly. I mean. The, the biggest thing for them on defense is they want to force turnovers. And when you force turnovers and you're able to get out on a fast break and score points off those turnovers, I mean, that that's really a key in almost every single game. You look at very, very rarely a team that wins a game. I mean, they're more often than not going to have more points off of turnovers than the other team. I know, for example, when they lost to Bowling Green, uh, Jalen Anderson had nine turnovers all by himself. And then you fast forward to the next game against Western Michigan. Jalen Anderson only has one turnover. He scores 20 points. Ball State wins the game. 
Um, and I think on defense, they're trying to be disruptive. Um, sometimes they're able to do it, and sometimes they're not. I think some. I think that probably boils down to a little bit of their opponent's discipline on offense, but also. I think they're playing more aggressive on defense and guys kind of understand their roles a little bit better now. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll say, I'll, I'll say it again. I said it earlier. It's just a young team. I mean, some of these guys like Mason Jones, Trent Middleton, who are getting an incredible amount of college minutes have never played college basketball before. Yeah, no question. It's Kyle Smedley from the Ball State Daily News. You know, th- th- this is something because I, I know each and every team is super unique. And, you know, I, I think one of the things that fans and, um, you know, we've all kind of wanted to learn is, okay, you, you got a real sense of the identity of this basketball team a year ago and what they were trying to do a year ago. This year, you're trying to fi- kind of figure that out. And I that whole preamble, Kyle, to go to this the identity for this uh for the program under Michael Lewis I think it's safe to say that um, his teams are ones that want to get to the free throw line with frequency now programs always mention that it's it's one thing to show that and and, and also say that and you know there, there was a middle portion of this season where they weren't getting into the free throw line, and again, you you can you you can um, you know attack different ways and those sorts of things. But I, I, I'm seeing a little bit of the identity of last year and this year now, basically confirming that uh, this is a team um, and program that always wants to get to the line with more and more frequency. And it just so happens over the last three weeks, they've gotten back to what they did a year ago, and it's resulting in winning. Is there a correlation there? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, they—you just look at the stats here. They're shooting, I mean, 77% from the free throw line. They've almost shot 500 free throws in comparison to their opponents' 370 free throws. Um, and and again, you know, Lewis has said it. He said that they're constantly trying to get to the line. You look at guys like I remember there was one game in particular where Mickey Pearson shot 10 for 10 from the free throw line. He didn't score anywhere else, but he got double digit points because he went to the line so much. Um, and that's what, that's what winning teams do. I mean, you think about NBA um, players like Joel and B James Harden, whoever that may be, they average 30 points a game because they go to the free throw line so many times. And I guess on that platform, people don't like it, but it, it correlates to wins. I mean, the 76ers, make the playoffs every year, whatever team James Harden is on pretty much makes the playoffs every year. And then you look at the college level, when you go to the line and you can make free throws, obviously that's the biggest thing that's going to correlate. in, I mean, essentially free points. Yeah, no, no question about it. Um, this is kind of a weird part of the year because uh, Ball State has a game Saturday. It's against Texas State, but uh, b- between tonight and February 17th, there's 11 days in between Mid-American Conference games. Now, uh, uh, media people like you and I look at that and say, oh man, the swing that could be 4-7 and seven or 5-6 and six in conference. <laughs> Is there something to that, Kyle, tonight? And I, I know the opponent with Ohio. We'll get to that matchup in a moment, but um, you know, uh, the, the the games are becoming fewer, but it feels like those swing games um, are, are happening almost every single time out like this one tonight. I think these next four games, Mark, really could end up deciding the season for Ball State, really. I mean, not to be too hyperbolic, but 
you look at this game against Ohio, which I know we're going to get to, but Ohio has won five out of its last six games. Ball State really needs to win tonight because right after tonight, they go on the road for three straight games. And I know Miami, Ohio is close. Northern Illinois is a hike. Obviously, Texas State, you're going to have to fly there. Um, and again, like you say, there's, you know, 11 days between conference games. Texas State's a game that they're not going to take lightly for sure, but it's a different kind of basketball when you're playing conference play, and especially when it's on the road. Um, and here's the here's the bigger thing, too. After these next four games, they play against Central Michigan and Kent State and Bowling Green, who are all teams that they have lost to earlier in the season and are either right next to them or above them in the max standings. Yeah, it's it's getting to that point of the year. Um, what a weird quirk of just how successful Ohio's been over Ball State. And, look, I know and I'm, I'm the same way. I look at series history and those sorts of things. But to have a streak like this is just really weird with, you know, coaches coming and going, players coming and going, and yet um, one team has had the massive advantage. And they're two different teams. You know, Ball State's very different from last year. Uh, Ohio's one of those weird teams in the country that have 11 returning players and yet Ohio's kind of been up and down but like you mentioned playing really good basketball right now there these are two of the best defensive teams in the conference what stands out about the winner of tonight's matchup doing what Kyle I mean we, we've talked about it I think the biggest things are who's going to be able to draw more fouls to not only get the line more but also put the other team in trouble with fouls because you think about it this way you mentioned the defensive strength of each of these teams when a team gets in foul trouble they have to be less aggressive on defense ball state is a team that wants to be aggressive on defense and force turnovers without fouling if you have a starter or two who have three or four fouls they're going to be less aggressive so they don't foul out um that goes hand in hand with the turnovers um and really, I think that's the key to just about any game. It's kind of a cop-out answer, but it fits here, too. Yeah, no no, no question about it. Um, two teams that like to, to, to win as well from the perimeter. Um, Ohio's been really good from three, and they have multiple ways to do it. Um, how do you defend that if you're Ball State? Good question. Um, obviously, you got to get a hand in their face. You have to limit their – looks from three and really the way that I think ball state can defend it is by hitting a lot of three pointers or getting a lot of three point looks of their own. I think that ball state has struggled a bit this year at being consistent from beyond the arc. Um, they get a lot of mid range looks and points inside. Um, but you know, in the games where let's say Davion Bailey hits four or five threes, ball state normally wins those games in the games where he shoots nine threes and makes two of them, the results normally aren't as good. So I think that a way that you can defend another team shooting threes is by hitting a lot of threes yourself. It's Kyle Smedley, Bowl State Daily News. We'll have all the coverage of tonight's match at Bowl State Men's Basketball versus Ohio 7 o'clock tip tonight at Warden Arena. Kyle, thanks for the perspective. We'll see you out there tonight and talk to you next week. Thanks for having me, Mark. That's uh, Kyle Smedley from the Ball State Daily News. Uh, some work from him, as always. Yes, tonight you can hear Ball State, Ohio. 640 is the pregame coverage 
right here. Um, we'll also be recapping a bit of uh, the Pacers coverage. Uh, Super Bowl week continues to roll on. Stories abundant. We'll get into more of those as we head into the later portion of this week. Big thanks to Kyle Smedley, Ball State Daily News, all of you for joining us. We're back with you tomorrow, same time, same place, 4 o'clock, right here on the Talk of Muncie. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a great evening.